for Chris and for all the gifts that he brings to serve us with. Uh, we love him and we love his family and we thank you for them. So will you bring inspiration through him to us this morning as we look at your word together? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Graham. I've got a bit of time. I love Graham's prayers and introductions. Um, if, if, if ever you've been on the speaking uh, program and Graham prays for you, invites you to the front, if ever you're having a bit of a wobbly moment, Graham's build-ups are the best. And um, very quickly, you're, you're left in that position thinking, I can hardly wait to hear myself speak. But joking aside, it is, it's, it's really lovely to be here with you. It's, it's, it's such an honor, really, just to be able to share a few thoughts with you. When, when Graham originally asked me and said, would you share, um, you can speak either about your favorite book or your favorite character from the Bible. And I thought, well, that shouldn't be too hard. But there's just so many to choose from. And so this morning, I'm quite unashamedly going to cheat I'm combining my, one of my favorite books and one of my favorite characters because they both happen to be in the book of Genesis. Well, the book of Genesis. And my, one of my favorite characters is a guy by the name of Joseph. But why, the main reason why I love the book of Genesis is it's, it's, it's the ultimate hyperlinked text. You know when you're on a website and you're reading through whatever it is you're reading through and there's a link to another there's a hyperlink to another website or another piece of information. You can quickly follow all these additional thoughts. The book of Genesis is like that. In fact, the whole Bible is like that. But Genesis brings a completely new dimension. It goes beyond time. It goes beyond space. It, it's almost, it, it's not that we want to be, um, you know, like we, we, we've found some sort of secret gnosis or, 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 or otherwise, but it's so that we can take a step back and look at the big view and go, wow, what an, what an amazing God we have. This text has the fingerprints of God on it. And it speaks at so many different levels. There's layer upon layer of what are called foreshadowings or models. That is to say, situations that seemingly are random, but almost enact out the very heart and the very message of God's plan of salvation. And I know I've shared some of these thoughts with you before, but every time I do this, the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. I can't resist this morning just showing you one quick example from the book of Genesis. And it's contained in Genesis chapter five. And it lists the family tree from Adam. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden? And there's 10 generations from Adam to Noah, Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalalal, Yared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah, 10 generations. And thank you, <laughs> took a bit of work that. <laughs> and if you look online, you can look at any sort of Hebrew name lexicon, and it happens a lot today, not just in, in Jewish circles, but even in Christian circles. Um, Quite often, parents would name their children based on some of the situations and circumstances that were kicking off in their lives at the time. There's a number of people in the Bible whose children get 
some really hideous names. Um, in Samuel chapter 4, for instance, the nation Israel lose a battle against the Philistines. And one of the priests, a guy by the name Phinehas, his wife is heavily pregnant. Okay, so their army gets beaten. The, uh, the stress of it caused her to go into premature labor. And just before she dies, she gives birth to a son who she names Ichabod, which means the glory of God has departed from Israel. I mean, the poor guy, you know. I didn't like my surname much when I was at school, but Ichabod. So it's just something to be sensitive to. But back to Genesis chapter 5, there's these 10 generations, and they all have free will as to what they're going to call their children. So Adam has a son. Now, Adam's name, because he's the first man, that's literally how it translates. His name means man. He has a son called Seth. Now, remember, Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. And we looked at that last time I spoke with you. And Cain kills his brother Abel. And as a con- well, not as a consequence, but not long after, um, Adam and Eve have another son who they call Seth. And Seth is appointed as a replacement. And that's what his name means, appointed. Seth then has a son. Seth grows up, has a son, and his name is Enosh. And Enosh, his name means mortal or limited. He then has a son called Kenan. Kenan becomes the father of the Kenite nation. You can see it all in the Old Testament. And they have a really miserable time of it. And that's what his name means, sorrow. So this guy, Kenan, called sorrow. Man, appointed, mortal, sorrow. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan. Kenan then has a son, Mahalalalal. It's a right mouthful. But Mahalal means the blessed one. But El, El, is like the generic name that we recognize in a lot of our songs for God. El Shaddai, El Rophe, Bethel. And there's a whole raft of them. So you put the two together, Mahalalalal, the blessed God, or the blessed one. So Mahalalalal, he then has a son. (laughs) I will get there, I will get there, stick with me. He has a son called Yared. Now Yared is born at these really weird goings on in the book of Genesis with the Nephilim and fallen angels and all the rest of it. And his name is a direct reference to that. His name means shall come down, or shall come down, referring to the fallen angels. Stick with me, it gets better. He has a son called Enoch. Now, Enoch was a teacher, and Enoch somehow knew that judgment was coming. And his name means teacher, or teaches, one who teaches. He then has a son called Methuselah. Now, Methuselah's name is really interesting because it literally means death or his death. But his death would be an important marker, like a stake in the ground. Something important was going to happen. So poor little Methuselah, whatever you do, Methuselah, don't pop your clogs. Because if you die, something significant is going to happen. It's really interesting. But when you plot this out, and you can do it from Genesis 5, Methuselah dies in the year of the flood. It's when the flood starts. 
And Methuselah then has a, has a son called Lamech, and his name literally comes from the same translation or the word that we're familiar with, to lament or to sorrow. And then Lamech has a son called Noah. And Noah is so interesting because he has two meanings to his name. His name means to hope, but it also means to comfort or rest. Comfort, rest. So ten generations, Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalal, Yared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. Man, appointed, mortal, sorrow. Ever since the fall, that is our story. Our days were limited to three score years and ten, and then we die. And that was a result of sin. That was a result of the fall. Mahalalalal, the blessed God, shall come down and teach that his death shall bring the despairing ones hope or comfort rest. And the reason I show you this this morning is because God hides things not from us but for us. In the text is God's plan of salvation. And those sorts of things just press my buttons because you can take a step back and go, wow, God, you are so good. The design of this and the intent is so elegant, it can't possibly be a hoax. So that's why, that's one of the reasons why I love the book of Genesis. And it's, it's just littered with examples of God's supernatural generosity and benevolence for us because God hides things from us, not for us. It's the same principle, if ever you've done an Easter egg hunt for little kids, you know, when they're really small, you put the egg in the middle of the coffee table. And as a parent, you take a step back and you watch your child hunt around and find the egg. Okay, you don't remove yourself from the situation. And as they get a bit older, you make it a bit harder. If you're like me, you make it impossible and then you can go back and eat the eggs later yourself. <laughs> Sorry, Tom. <laughs> but the point is that if you find something for yourself, you will carry that revelation with you to the grave. And it will bring you freedom and it will bring you a wholeness that God wants for you. The other reason why I really love the book of Genesis is because of the guy called Joseph. And I know that many of you are very familiar with the story. Um, I'll try and do this without becoming emotional. I love this story because there's so many elements of it that demonstrate, that, it, it, that mirror my own experiences and just the, the, the benevolent and extraordinary love of God towards me. Remember, remember um, Joseph, his father Jacob had, well he certainly had two wives and two mistresses and through these four ladies, uh, we see the 12 tribes of Israel established. And let's be really blunt, it's a pretty dysfunctional family. To the extent that Joseph's brothers, in their hearts, they decided to murder him. Remember the story how Jacob, his, his favorite wife, the one he really wanted was Rachel, and Rachel was unable to have children. And so there's this internal battle that goes on in the family. And the other three, well, the other wife and the other two, Bilhar and Zilpah, they start producing babies. 
but Rachel struggles with this whole infertility thing. And eventually, she gives birth to Joseph, and he is clearly Jacob's favourite. And you know the story. You've, you know, you've listened to the musical, coat of many colours. Jacob bestows on him this favour and gives him this royal robe with all these, these, these beautiful colours. And his brothers hated him. And when he comes out to visit them, because they're shepherds and they're working in the fields, they said, let's kill him. Let's kill him and let's do away with him. Unfortunately, wiser counsels prevail and Reuben, the eldest son, says, look, let's just chuck him in this disused well. We'll worry about him later. And a band of Ishmaelite raiders come through, or traders, whatever you want to call them, and they sell their own kith and kin into slavery. It's pretty horrific. They sell their brother. He makes his way down to Egypt. He's quickly sold into the into Pharaoh's household, or, or rather, the, certainly the captain of the guard, Potiphar. He rises to a position of influence, gets falsely accused of rape, and then thrown into prison. And it's pretty bleak. But God has bestowed on him, if you remember, this ability, this unique gift of being able to explain dreams. And the two prisoners who were the, the baker and the cupbearer who were in prison with him, they share with Joseph their dreams one evening. And Joseph interprets them, and they come true. You know the story. Please nod your heads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're getting it. And uh, it's some time after, after these prophecies, these prophetic dreams have come true. Joseph gets called before Pharaoh, because Pharaoh, because Pharaoh has had a couple of dreams too. And Joseph interprets these dreams and in the space of a few minutes gets promoted from prisoner to prime minister, ruler of the land, second only unto Pharaoh, and very quickly establishes a position of supernatural authority, and they prepare the land of Egypt because they know that famine is coming. And then his brothers turn up. The famine hits, and they come down to Egypt because they need to buy food. And one of the first people they bump into is their brother Joseph. And they don't recognize it's him. He's completely immersed in the culture. He speaks the lingo. He's got the full package. And Joseph, in effect, tests his brothers. He wants to see if there's been any change of heart. Remember the story how they go to leave the first time and Joseph or Joseph's colleagues have filled their bags to bursting with grain, but they've also returned the money that Joseph's brothers intended or had intended to buy it with the first place. So they get halfway home, they find they've got all the food that they bought plus the money that they originally thought they were going to buy the food with. So they're quite worried at this point, but they carry on home. And Joseph has wangled out of them through an interpreter that his father and his brother, his true brother Benjamin, are still alive. And he's charged them. He said, look, if you don't come back, or rather, if you come back again and you haven't got your brother with you, who you were alluded to, I'll know your spies and there's going to be trouble. And the famine bites and it bites really hard. 
and they're forced to return to Egypt. They're forced to return with Benjamin. And I don't know how, I don't know how Joseph held it together. It does actually tell you in chapter 44 that at one point Joseph was overwhelmed and had to leave their presence and he wept. The emotion of it. His heart yearned, it said in verse 30 of chapter 43. His heart yearned for his brother, and Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep. And he went into his chamber, and he broke down. You feel the tension building. He's still not yet revealed who he is. And then finally, he sets up, as they go to leave, he sends them on their way carrying all the food they can carry, and hidden in Benjamin's sack is Joseph's special cup. And they've not gone very far when Joseph's men overtake them and accuse them of theft. And they go through all their sacks of grain, and lo and behold, in Benjamin's sack is Joseph's divining cup, his silver special mug. And there's a bit of a showdown. They get dragged back to Egypt. And they th they're fearful. They are fearful. But this is where I want to get to this morning. And this is what I mean when I say the book of Genesis is littered with examples, with models or foreshadowings of God's heart for us. In this story, or certainly in this part of the story... There is a, it's brutally painful, but it's, it, it's truly beautiful at the same time. Judah, that is to say, one of Joseph's brothers, Judah, the lion of the tribe, his name incidentally means praise the Lord, falls at Joseph's feet. I have to try and do this without getting emotional. Judah came near to him. And said, O oh my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing. And do not let your anger burn against your servant. For you are even like Pharaoh. My Lord asked as his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age who is young. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children. And his father loves him. And his father loves you too. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me that I may set my eyes upon him. And we said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father. For if he should leave his father, his father would die. But you said, Joseph, you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall see my face no more. And so it was when we went up to your servant, my father, that we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, go back and buy us more food. But we said to our father, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother, Benjamin, is with us, then we will go down. For we may not see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. And the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. But if you take this one, if you take this one from me, and calamity befalls him, you will bring down my gray hair 
with sorrow to the grave. Now therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad, Benjamin, is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen when he sees that the lad is not with us, that he, meaning our father, will die. And so your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I will bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me? lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father. So get the picture at this point. Judah, the great lion of the tribe, is prostrate on the floor. He is bowed down lower than he can go. And he is laid out before Joseph. He's laid out, not knowing that he's actually fulfilling the prophetic dreams that Joseph had had years and years ago. He's lying down on the floor before him. And the only thing he's done in this moment, he's effectively saying, I surrender. I surrender. This is how it is, guys. There's no fancy language here. I haven't dressed it up. And that is, in effect, what God requires of us. He's not interested in the nice shiny bits of your life that you can present to other people or even bring to your workplace so that other people think, hey, this guy Chris Gerald's got it all together. God is after a faithful truthfulness and a brutal honesty and a humble and a contrite heart. And... Chapter 45, it says Joseph could restrain himself no longer. The emotional dam failed at that point. (laughs) And he stands in front of his brothers, and in Hebrew, he says three words. I am Joseph. I bet they were pretty shocked. I would love to have been a fly on the wall at that moment. I am Joseph. It's no wonder in the New Testament when Jesus is going hammer and tongs with the religious police at the time, when he said to them, he said, before Abraham was, I am. It's the same use of language here. I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. But my point in this, and this is where I want to get to, in those moments of brutal honesty that we, that we have, that we must have before the Lord, he rushes out to meet us. Bear in mind, they're a bunch of, they didn't actually commit murder, but the intent was there. They are a rough, tough bunch these boys you don't mess with them and yet when you follow through from chapter 45 the benevolence of Joseph towards them they come and live in the best of the land 
They live off the fat of the land. In fact, Joseph was, took so much trouble to them to say, look, although you intended this for harm, God has meant this for good. He refused to, held, to hold any sort of grudge against them and yet pointed them back to Yahweh and said, this was part of God's plan. Because through this set of circumstances, not only do you as a nation get birthed and saved, because let's face it, it was a worldwide famine at this point, but the whole of God's plan of salvation starts being put into effect. And that is why I love the book of Genesis. And it's true for us, when we come to, when we come to Jesus, Joseph, Jesus, the model type, and we confess and admit and throw ourselves on his mercy, he rushes out to meet us with the best that heaven has to offer. I promise you that. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper to you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. As the prophet in Jeremiah 29, the prophet Jeremiah says in chapter 29. And in essence, that is what God is after us. It, it's a continual heart of surrender, just like Judah, to live in that place where constantly we live in the goodness and the mercy of Jesus Christ. And if you've never experienced that, if you're here this morning and you're thinking, I'd like to know some more about that, please do take the trouble to come and talk to me or talk to one of the team. And we would love to share some more of those thoughts and that journey with you. I mean, there's a... Am I okay? Just about. There's a... <laughs> There's a great hymn, Judson van der Venter, 1896. Remember that? I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Jesus. I surrender, I surrender all. It's a great verse. All to Jesus, I surrender. Now I feel the sacred flame. Oh, the joy of full surrender. Glory, glory to his name. I surrender all. I surrender all, all to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. Jesus, may that be our heart's cry to live in that place of surrender, Lord. Jesus, we ask that in your name. Jesus, I surrender all. I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Saviour, I surrender all, I surrender all, I surrender To thee, my blessed Saviour, I surrender all. Jesus, we love you. Lord, I love you.
And Lord, this week, may that be our heart's cry, that we surrender all, that we don't hold back any part of who we are. We surrender all, Lord, not for our sakes, but because you are so totally worth it. Amen. Amen.